Send on your behalf, uh, beginning in the book of Bamidbar, Numbers chapter 13. Before I get there, a couple things. Uh, number one is ne- next Tuesday, next Tuesday morning, uh, 9 o'clock to 10 o'clock Eastern Time. I will be, uh, God willing, Bezrat Hashem, I'll be up in Whittier, North Carolina at Camp Mashiach, speaking to the uh, the young people there, the youth. And so I would appreciate your prayers in that. Uh, just be spending, at least for the moment, it looks like I'm just going to be spending one hour with them. But uh, looking forward to, it's a great group of, uh, of youth up there. And that will be followed by Revive. Uh, Revive is the end of June. If you, there's still registration open. The hotel, the, the, uh, the, the good prices at the hotel, those are gone. It's, that's expired. There's other hotels in the area, a little bit cheaper, but it'll be at the uh, the Cool Springs Marriott in Franklin, Tennessee, as I said, the end of June. Uh, if you cannot make it, I would ask you that uh, you would begin to pray for uh, for Ryan Cribbs, David Covert, my son Daniel Clayton, and myself. As we travel, as we are there, we're going to be speaking Friday, Shabbat, and Sunday from 3.30 to 5.30. That'll be central time. In uh, To the young adults, this will be from about 19 to 35. Uh, we've got a lot of, uh, I'm, I'm hearing rumors of a lot of adults uh, that uh, are over 35 that are wanting to come. Not sure if we're going to be able to do that or have the room for that. Uh, and it's, it is specifically for that age group. So I'd ask you to pray there are always... Uh, challenges. This is not a negative confession, but uh, there are always challenges when you enter into something like this. So if you would, uh, I appreciate your prayers prior to this for this uh, this ministry team that has been put together. We've got uh, a, a lot of things planned and really looking forward to it. So uh, with that, going to the book of Bemidbar or Numbers, and this is this is kind of an interesting Torah portion to me. Uh, I've taught this in the past as we look at the the calf versus the spies. Okay, um, in in most of our minds, if we were to say, okay, which was the greater uh, the, the greater sin, we would say, I, I think I would at least, I'd say the the golden calf. But in rabbinic literature, and I do agree with this after I sit down and spend some time thinking about it, that the negative report, the evil report from the spies coming back, that is the greater of the two. Why? It is the difference between image and character. That what we see is that the image of the Father, uh, he allows more mercy concerning that, then he does his character. And I, I can understand that. I mean, you can look at me and say, well, you know, your, your, uh, your hair is a little grayer than it used to be. Yeah, that's, that's true. Uh, you could probably take a little bit better care of yourself. Well, maybe that's true. Uh, you could lose a little. Yeah, maybe those things are true. But see, that's, that's all my image. Okay. And, and we can deal with those things. But uh, when it comes to my character, don't go there. Don't go there. You, you've heard me say the difference between my grandmother and myself is uh, she, she said there's two things in her life that she hated, 
Cats and liars, the difference between me and Granny is I kind of like cats, or at least some cats. But um, it's, this, is, this is something that I've dealt with all my life. Uh, you can attack about anything except for my character. Uh, that is one area that you will see me push back at a greater level than any other area of my life. Uh, all I have is my word. And I try my best to, uh, to guard that. And so when we attack his, what was this, what was this all about with the, the spies? It was attack on his word that he had told them coming out of Egypt, I will do this. I, the, the four I wills, I will bring you out and I will take you into the land. And so when they come back with this bad report, they are not attacking his character. They are attacking his, or excuse me, they are not attacking his image. They are attacking his character and his word. He took that extremely personal. And we need to be careful of that. I'll get more into that in just a few moments. Now, chapter 13 is, of course, send people on your behalf to reconquer the, the land of Canaan which I'm giving to the people of Israel. If we go over to Deuteronomy chapter 11, chapter 1, verse 22, we see that this was the idea not of the Almighty. Uh, he, you know, his, his word was, I'm going to do this. So why do we need to discuss it along the way? We don't. It has already happened in his mind. It's just a matter of us of them, oh, did I say us? Yes, I did. Walking it out with a firm foundation and a firm destination that has already been established. So with the spies, what were they doing? They were questioning. Uh, it says in, De in Deuteronomy, Devarim, chapter 1, again, verse 22, that Moshe says, it, was, it, it wasn't my idea, it wasn't the Almighty's idea, it was your idea to do this. Now, nothing, I, I'm not questioning, I'm, I'm kind of questioning, I'm not judging Moshe on what I'm about to say, but is this a breaking down of leadership? Is this what would bring forth the next Torah portion, which is Korach? That Moshe has gone through... Uh, you know, 40 years in the wilderness, uh, his own wilderness, and he has now put up with these Hebrews for a number of years. Is it possible that he's exhausted? Yes, I can see that. Uh, there comes a place in time. Anyone who has ever been in a place of leadership, and if you're a parent, you've been in a place of leadership. Your children come to you and they, you know, they begin to, to nag at you. And finally, sometimes they can just wear you down. Okay, go ahead, go ahead and do that. How does it work out? It doesn't. You come back and say, why did I make that decision? Because you were exhausted in it. We go to the book of Daniel. We go to uh, Matthew chapter 24. And it talks about that the enemy will specifically in the last days seek to exhaust the Zadokim, the saints. And so we need to be guarding over that exhaustion. Moshe, I'm, I'm just kind of floating the theory here. 
when they came to him, it was not his best. It was not his best day. It was a day in which he was having some struggles. Maybe he was saying, "I don't know if I can do this." He was questioning his own leadership. I don't know. I'm speculating a lot of things, but I'm speculating them based upon my own experience of ministry for 30 years. That he said, okay, well, if, if that's the way you want it, I'm, I'm going to give in. I mean, what can possibly go wrong with us sending a group of people into the land uh, ahead of time? Well, they're told that they are to tour. Yeah, the word in Hebrew is T-O-O-R. It is a tav, a vav, and a resh. They are to tour the land. They were to do the same as we are today. Uh, to When I take a tour to Israel, I'm going to have a little bit more to say about that later possibly, but when I take a tour to Israel, uh, I'm, I'm telling the people that, uh, that they are to experience what is there. They're not going to judge the land. They're not going to judge the people, which, by the way, uh, I've, I've seen people that can, that have tried to do that. And normally, uh, in my experience, those that go over with judgmentalism regarding what they see with their own eyes, what they think they hear, what they think they know, uh, those people come back from the land and their lives sometimes don't go very well. And so these are discussions that I have with people when I, I lead a tour. Uh, the word tour is a tav, a vav, and a resh. Which, what would that word mean? It means that we are to, they are to connect to the head of the covenant. The tav is the, uh, the, the letter of the, the sign, the mark. The, it would have been a cross in the days of, uh, of Abraham in my, uh, my research. The resh is the head and the vav is the connector. So in touring the land, they were to connect with the head. They were to find the work of the Messiah. They were to find the work of restoration while they are in the land, not go over and judge. Now, there is a um, uh, maybe another aspect of this, that the Hebrews in the wilderness went through almost 40 years never never settling once and for all their destination. Again, we'll see this in next week's Torah portion. When someone comes back up, the, this mental midget, Korach, comes up with the great idea of let's go back. Well, what did the people do? You know, over and over and over again, they were confused about their destination. So when you're confused about where you're going, you are easy prey for someone to take you and lead you to a place that you're not destined for. Herein lies the last 1,700 years or so of, let's, uh, let's boil it down to a theme song, when we all get to heaven, 
what a day of rejoicing that will be. Now, what I'm about to say is not based upon the, the period of time if uh, the kingdom does not come, if the Messiah does not return in our day, may it be. But if, if not, and we go through this thing of death, that place from death to the resurrection, uh, I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about the you know, the, the words of the, the thief upon the execution stake of, you know, today you will see, be with me in paradise. I'm not, not speaking on that. I'm talking about our final destination of where the kingdom is going to be and then where eternity is not, is going to be. I'm not going to go into this because I've, a lot because I've talked about it so much, but until you, yes, you, until you, Remove the vocabulary of, well, when we get to heaven, you are still walking in a confused destiny. And the confused destiny will bring forth confusion regarding your journey. Think about that one for a moment. See, I am secure in where I am going. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt based upon what I have gone through personally in my life of going through the when we all get to heaven everybody will be happy over there I'll fly away oh glory going through that and now understanding that there is that that is not my home uh, Psalm 115 Number of verses, we throw this in for a long time. But when I came to the, to the realization that Israel was to be my destination, it took confusion out of my journey. So I challenge you to make sure that you are personally, look, think about it, consider your vocabulary. Consider what you do in talking with people. If your vocabulary is confused over your destination, that means that you are confused over your destination, and then we'll bring that forth in a confusion of your journey. Make sure that your destination is, is, is without confusion here. Now, it says that these are these people that are listed, they are, these are the leading people among, the leading men among the people of Israel. They are the Rosh. Again, uh, this, this word Rosh is, uh, is the letter Resh, the letter Sheen, excuse me, the letter Resh, the letter Aleph, and the letter Sheen. I could go into this, I'm, I'm not going to, but all of these three letters of this word resh are pointing to the Messiah. Very quickly, uh, the resh, of course, head, we see that in, in Torah and various other places, that is a letter that points us to the Messiah, the one who is the head. Uh, Aleph, of course, is the letter of the ox, the letter of strength, pointing us to Messiah. Sheen is the letter of El Shaddai, 
the all-sufficient one. It is the fingerprint, and it is Messiah that gives us the fingerprint of the Almighty. I go into hours, probably, of teaching right there. Don't have time, of course. So these people who are the heads, the, the, the leaders of Israel are to go into the land, they are to see the land, in verse 18, which is the word re, which is to perceive. So they were to go in, here's their job. They are to tour the land, and they are to perceive it, not as it is, but as it is. Let me give you that one again. Moshe is looking at these men and saying, don't see what is, but see what is. That means that you have to perceive it through his eyes, not yours. Bring in a couple of very good friends of mine, uh, Moshe and Leah Goldsmith. Many people, everybody that's been on tour of Israel with me has, uh, has, has met Moshe and Leah They were uh, living in New York. They decide to make Aliyah, but instead of making Aliyah to Tel Aviv, they go to a little town called Itamar in northern Shomron. And they go up there with about eight other families. No running water, uh, generator part of the day, uh, no communication. There wasn't cell phones in that day. Eight families begin this community, which is now the largest landmass community. Ariel is the largest in population, but Itamar is the largest in landmass in all of the northern Shomron. It is actually in in, uh, Judea Samaria. And what did they do? They, in in, in talking with them, we saw what this was going to be. No, they saw what it already was in the mind of the Father. And so today, they're still excited. Why? Because they're still on the journey of getting it from that place of barrenness to the place of total fruitfulness that has already been established by the Almighty. So this doesn't mean, this is not just the the land. This is how we need to look at life. Okay, life today, you follow the news and, and you follow the things that are going on, Life today is like, get me out of here. Beam me somewhere, Scotty, because there's no intelligent life forms anymore. It's just, it's just getting to be ridiculous. What, how much further is it going to go? Is what I'm asking myself these days. I'm not, I, I'm, I'm not praying for restoration of anything. I'm, I'm praying for the kingdom. And, and what is it we're going to have to go through between here and there? What is it going to look like? I don't even want to think about that sometimes. But we need to also consider that in our when we wake up in the morning, don't see it as it is, see it as it is. Keep your focus on the destination that you have solidified in your mind, in in your body, soul, and spirit. The destination which will cause you to be able to deal with the journey. Now, I, I gotta take, I gotta question this, and I, I want you to go back y- yourself and read uh, verses seventeen through twenty. I'll, I'll just go ahead and do it. Uh, Moshe sent them to reconquer, to tour the land of Canaan, instructing them, go on up to the Negev and into the hills, and 
Ray, see, perceive what the land is like. Notice the people living there, whether they are strong or weak, few or many, and what kind of country they live in, whether it is good or bad, and what kind of cities they live in, open or fortified. See whether the land is fertile or unproductive, and whether there is wood in it or not. Finally, be bold enough to bring back some of the fruit of the land. Uh, specifically, it is uh, the, wood, the word wood is ets, or a tree. So you can, I'll have to let you kind of do that one on your own uh, as you would like to study that one out. But I, I, I kind of emphasized, a little bit of emphasis on one word in that section of scriptures, and it was the word weather. Uh, I, I, again, I'm, I'm not being judgmental toward Moshe. And I understand that the Hebrew... When we look at Hebrew, the wording is is slightly different than what it is here, but the connotation that it brings forth as we read it. Did Moshe, in a way, give them a bad setup concerning their trip into the land, their tour into the land? By by this, this thought of, well... See whether it's this or that. Now, the wording in Hebrew is actually more, uh, let me, let me go to, um, it says whether it is strong or weak is hazak is used where the word weather, weather is. Um, notice the, uh, what kind of country it is, whether it is good or bad. If, if we look at the the wording here in Hebrew, it's it's more of emphasizing the 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 positive and not the negative. But have you ever sent somebody uh, you know into uh, into a situation? I'm, I'm trying to think of something right off the top of my head. It's not coming to me real real good. But in in sending someone. I, you know, on a, on a, on a trip, okay, a vacation, you're going to, you you tell somebody you're going to go to, you know, whatever I I used to would use Disney, but I don't do that anymore, but uh, you're going to, you know, somebody, you say to somebody that you're going to go visit such and such a town and all they do is tell you the negative. Well, it's going to be a terrible, I mean, you know, driving I-10 is just a drag and uh, you're going to have to go through Texas to get there, no matter which way you're going. And it's going to be like over 800 miles. And it's going to just be, oh, it's, I, I drove that one time. It's, it was terrible. And then they know everything about the city or the, the, the theme park or whatever you're going to. And they tell you all the things that were going, it's so expensive. And, you know, the food that day was just terrible. And, and I end up getting food poisoning and I got heat stroke and, by the time they get done, you're like, well, cancel that vacation. So is, is it possible that Moshe, in his wording to them, instead of, uh, and, and again, I know what, the, what Hebrew says here, that he could have used a little bit stronger language and setting them up like this, go and see that they are weak and that we are strong. Go and see the fertile land. Go and see 
what it is, what has been promised to us. And, and by the way, you're going to see some things that, eh, they, they, you know, to your human uh, perception, it may not quite look like you're thinking. Don't be concerned about that. Because just wait till we get there and see what the Father is going to do in our midst. Uh, so consider that. Verses uh, uh, 21, and uh, I'm not going to read these, but verse 21 through 24, specifically say they arrived at Hebron. Hebron. And they end up at the Eshkel, uh, Eshkol Valley. Um, and there they, they find some fruit. If you go to Israel and, and you see these uh, these uh, carvings, wood carvings, and you see the, the, the different things that have been made, and uh, even the Ministry of Tourism, it, their symbol is these two men, Joshua and Caleb. This cluster of grapes. Now, it is actually, there's been archaeological finds regarding some of the, the produce that's coming from this area at that day. And it was, uh, there are many that believe that, that in that day they were, were feeding the, the then known world from this area. It is today a, uh, you look around and you go, desert. But, uh, you know, remember that in that day, Though it was considered desert, it was a very productive area, much more than it is today, and not what it's going to be one day, all right? So they go to Hebron uh, and to the Eshkol Valley. Well, if we look at a map, what do we find in the Eshkol Valley? Let's go over to Bereshit, Genesis. And Genesis chapter all the way back here, long ways. Genesis chapter 13. And we read in verse um, 18, Avram. Hmm. Avram. This is, by the way, uh, prior to Isaac. Okay, this is, this is the beginning. We're still in the beginning of his life here. Avram moved his tent and came to live by the oaks of Moray, which are in Hebron. There he built an altar to Yudhe So the Eshkol Valley, this is the area that we're talking about. They went into the area of Hebron. Uh, I was blessed a number of years ago to go to Hebron and actually uh, do a tour and you can go to the same place and you can see the wall that was has been excavated that is believed to go back all the way to the spies coming into Hebron. Now, that, that's an experience. Standing there and knowing, believing, uh, that you are looking at the very wall that Joshua and Caleb looked at that's that's quite an experience 
kind of rearranges your your perception your perception of things at times. So they go specifically to Hebron. They go specifically to the Oaks of Mamre, which is the Eshkol Valley. Why? Well, what is there? Uh, Cave of Machpelah, which is <coughs> considered traditional. Um, whether you want to believe in this or not is you know totally up to each person. But it is believed that that is where uh, where the um, where the Garden of Eden was. Again, there's speculation there. I'm not saying it is or isn't. Okay, but what is it? What was there that caused Abraham to go to that specific place and pay an exorbitant amount of money for that cave? It must have been a reason. Because he could have gotten a lot of caves for the money that he spent. If you go back and look at the story, for the money he spent on that cave and that valley, uh, he could have bought a lot of caves and valleys because he was charged a very high premium for that place. So there was something specific about that. And it is there that Joshua, Caleb, the other 10 tourists, go to this place and they find the fruitfulness and then bring it back to the rest of Israel. Ah, what were they told? Go to your roots and bring back fruits. Now, there's a statement that I just coined. I think for the first time, go to your roots and bring back fruits. You're probably going to hear me say that a few times in the future because I think it's worth repeating. Go to your roots and bring back fruits for the rest of Israel to see. Is that possibly what the Hebrew Roots movement... Now, anybody that knows me knows that there's about 12 messages that are going around in my head right now. So, trying to concentrate on what what I've still got to say is going to be tough. But they were to... these, These tourists were to go reconnect with their root and bring back the fruit... Is that what the Hebrew Roots movement, whatever you want to call it, is that what we are supposed to be doing? Is that our assignment? Those of you who have all of a sudden opened the scripture and went, ha, wow, who said that the Torah was done away with? Those that said, uh, when did somebody change this, change seven to one? When did somebody change Leviticus chapter 11 and it doesn't make any sense uh, regarding the verses of, uh, of Acts? And you're like, you started thinking and you came to some conclusions and those conclusions took you to fruitfulness. But are we bringing back, are we taking back to the rest of Israel fruit or poison? Yeah, that hurt. Are people bringing back 
from their study of Torah, are they bringing back fruit, or 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 are they? It's English, or are they bringing back poison, poison of calendars and names and all of these things, ladies and gentlemen. We need to be bringing back to other people who have not been woke up yet. We need to be bringing back fruit, not a poisonous message that keeps them from their destination. All right, they were in the this area for 40 years, or 40 days, again, um, 40 days coinciding with 40 years in the wilderness. 40 is a time of testing. They, I don't know exactly uh, when they, 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 where it was along the way that they got the fruit. But they had 40 days. 40 days in the land. So part of Israel went into the land and... The majority came back and spoke, which caused Israel to not go into the land. Only two, two stood out. Now, before I get to that, the rest of chapter 13 is speaking of the this, this bad report. Verse 32 is that they brought back a bad report, or some uh, translations say an evil report. The word is is kind of uh, a, an interesting word concerning the bad report. It literally uh, has a, a couple of different connotations to it, but it literally means a whispering slander. So did the 12 tourists, let's focus on the 10, did they come back and go straight to Moshe and say, Okay, here's the report we got. We got like to stand in front of the people and then we read what they said. Or was there negative report that when they came back in, here's the proof of the fruit that came from their root. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to get some traction on that one. Here's the here's the proof. And so people are going, wow, look at those grapes. I mean, is the rest of the land like that? And instead of running with that and saying, yeah, you know, it's going to be some challenges, but uh, uh, we, we can overcome these challenges because the Almighty himself has promised this, that they began a whispering slander throughout the community of Israel so that by the time they had the opportunity, I'm speculating, by the time they had the opportunity to stand before Moshe and the people, they had already turned the people against their destination. I thought. And then the uh, in verse uh, 31, But the men who had gone with him said, we can attack those people because we can't attack those people because they are stronger than we are. Hmm. There have been some who have, uh, have tried to translate this. I don't believe that it translates well like it, but uh, 
that, that it's not that they are stronger than we are, but stronger than he is. But you know, that is also an accurate translation because when they were, when they put their eyes on themselves, they came up short. When they put their eyes on themselves, these, these people that are in the land, they are stronger than we are because we don't see ourselves in light of who he is. We only see ourselves as alone. It's the, the, the same thing of um, the Hebrews. I can't remember which Torah portion it was. You know, is he really with us or not? They, they never came to the conclusion. They never came to this fact that the Almighty was there with them and they needed to get them, their eyes off themselves and put their eyes on him. Because when we put our eyes on the Creator, the Almighty, Yudhe Vavhe, when we put our eyes on Him, I can do all things. I can do all things through Messiah who strengthens me. But sometimes the hardest thing in life is to take our eyes off of ourselves and the circumstances that I'm in and put our eyes on Him and what he is bringing us through. Again, something to kind of think about there. Um, who stood? Who is it that stood? We see that it was Joshua. Now, it, it, the the wording here of his, I'm not going into the, the, the changing of his name and all those things. I'm just going into the basic translations here. It was Joshua and it was Caleb. Now, Joshua's name means salvation. It would end up being translated to uh, Yahushua. Yah is my salvation. So we, we see in the two tourists that came back, we see that one of them, one of them, his name means salvation. His name would be changed and would mean salvation is of Yah. As that's my understanding of the word. The name Caleb <laughs> is dog. The root word of Kalev is lev, heart. Um, mentioned cats earlier. Okay, there's there's all kinds of uh, there, there's all kinds of sayings regarding cats and dogs, and there's both. You know, they're they're the number one and number two pet. That we have, at least in the United States, uh, you know, most people have will go out and buy a, a cat or a dog before they do a snake or a lizard, um, which I'm not having snakes or lizards in my house. But you know, you'll, you'll go out and get a cat, a dog, but which one is is actually the heart? Uh, the the rabbinic uh, midrash on this is is interesting. I don't know if it's true or not. It's interesting that there was. We we know that in the time of the garden. Uh, the animals reacted with Adam and Eve a lot different than they do today. And that is how it's going to be according to Isaiah chapter 2 and various other places in scripture in the millennium. That the nature of animals were changed in the fall and will be restored in the millennium and beyond. So, um, 
you could you you could pet a, a, a lion, which is kind of like my thing to do here, kitty. Uh, I want to ha- I want to have a pet lion because I think it'd just be really cool to curl up with it and pet it and it not want to eat you. But uh, so the the rabbinic midrash, my my brain goes in places that you don't need to go. Uh, the uh, my the, the rabbinic midrash is that the Almighty wanted one animal that would be very similar to what Adam and Eve had in that day. And so he left the dog. The dog is as as similar to what it was at the time of Adam and Eve. Uh, I can tell you with with our dog, our dog Kaya, uh, we've had a lot of different dogs through the years. And I've never seen a dog that has the heart like this dog does. Uh, she she doesn't, as as Ryan Cribbs last, uh, said last night on uh, Life on Purpose, regarding the, um, uh, uh, he says his dog loves, lives for the tennis ball, and every every dog he made the mistake the statement that every dog you know it, it lives for a tennis ball. Mine doesn't. It won't even pick one up. Uh, you know she's got her toys and she'll sit there with her toys a little bit and she, you know she'll we'll throw them and she'll get it like twice and then sit down and go okay this is over. Um, Kaya only, her, her whole life is about me, about Kathy. And all she wants to do is just be there. And, and, and she's this snuggly thing. She's 50 pound Australian shepherd. She's this snuggly thing. And she, you just see this heart coming forth in her. And so what do we see? Getting back to the, the account here, that you see that Joshua and Caleb brought back the heart of Messiah. They were told to go into the land to connect with the covenant. They were to connect with the Messiah in the land. They were to connect with their redemption, with their salvation. And the two, Caleb and Joshua, came back from the land. Oh, that sun's getting bright today. I thought didn't put my, my um, uh, blinds down enough. They came back from the land trying to connect the people with their redemption. Because, yeah, I know that in Messiah, we are redeemed. At Passover, it is our redemption. But it is also the start of our redemption. You are redeemed, but yet you're also on the path to redemption. Go back to the I wills of Exodus. Redemption is not complete. Passover, let's go here. Passover is not complete until we get to Shavuot, which is a picture of the kingdom. Joshua and Caleb saw the land as it, not as it was, but as it was supposed to be. And they brought back that report. Interesting enough, we see, of course, that Caleb is uh, from the tribe of Yehuda, Judah. Joshua is from the tribe of Ephraim. Ephraim and Judah walking together to bring forth redemption. 
to bring forth salvation. You know, out of all of the doctrines that are argued about in Scripture, and there are many, one of the one of the doctrines that is so hotly argued about in Hebrew roots messianic circles today is the one of the so-called two house of the two kingdoms of the two sticks. There are people that 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 their blood pressure goes out out their the top of their head when even you mention it. Why? Because if we can keep Judah and Ephraim apart, then we'll never be able to walk into the kingdom. Think about that. It is Judah and Ephraim walking together. Go back and study Ezekiel chapter 37. The sticks, the two sticks coming together. It says, first of all, they face toward each other. And as they continue that facing toward each other, they are coming closer and closer together until they finally become one in his hand, which I believe is a picture of us standing together in the kingdom. So why is it that today this concept of Judah and Ephraim is fought against by organizations? by doctrines, by people, and by demonic forces. Because it keeps us away. It keeps us a step out of his kingdom. It is only when we face toward each other, and then we get closer and closer and closer. I can tell you from someone who's known for being a part of this process, I'm not speaking about something just from an academic level. But someone who is part of the process, it is not easy. This is, this concept of Ephraim and Judah walking together in the words of Messiah that they may be one, the process of that happening is difficult. We we tie in personalities. We put in hurts. We we put in the the demonic forces behind the scenes that are trying to keep this thing from happening. You put that into the history that the church, quote unquote church has had with the Jewish people. You put in the verses of the, the jealousy between the brothers of Ephraim and Judah that's listed in Isaiah and various other places. The provoking, not to zealousness, but to anger and hatred and, and all kinds of other things. You put all that together and what do you have? You have a people trying to override the message of Ephraim and Judah. What was happening in that day? The ten spies sought through their whispering slander to undermine the message 
of Ephraim and Judah. And ladies and gentlemen, that is still happening today. You and I must decide to make a decision. No matter how difficult it may be, I will walk this out. In the power of the Almighty, because I've seen what it's going to be, not what it looks like today. But in the power of the Almighty, we walk forward to, as estranged brothers and sisters, who come into this with a lot of baggage, with a lot of problems, but we see the end result. And because of that, we, begin, we keep walking together. Who stood? It was Ephraim and Judah. Quickly, I've got it one minute. If we go into the, the next Torah portions, it says that, uh, or in the next chapters, it says that he will bring forth, uh, this is chapter 18, chapter 14, verse 18, that he will visit the iniquity of the, uh, of, of every generation of the children. He still visits the iniquity that was brought forth from the 12, from the 10 spies. Give you an example, 1967 and the giving back of the Temple Mount, the Horabite. That was a visiting. If Judah had the opportunity to take it back for themselves, and instead they stuck with the bad report of the ten spies. But before we get a, um, a real, you know, start patting ourselves on the back, has not the Hebraic roots movement, Messianic movement, done the same thing in basically saying by their act, by their actions, not ours, by their actions. The land of Israel is irrelevant today. Let's make let's make exile great again. Ouch. Shabbat Shalom. Shavua Tov. Have a blessed, prosperous week. Bezrat Hashem. God willing, see you again next week. Appreciate your prayers for Camp Mashiach for Revive coming up. Uh, until next week, be strong.